Hello and welcome to another episode of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletic's new ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for The Athletic, here to talk about the ACC for another week. We had a a full slate of games last week, uh, interesting uh, results in a couple of those. Have a pretty good show today. Uh, Katie George from the ACC Network will join us in a bit. She was at Virginia Tech, NC State, a game I, I also covered here in Lane Stadium. Uh, she's got plenty of good insight on that. We'll talk to her a little bit about the ACC in general. She's covering UVA at Clemson coming up this week. Uh, very good insight in that interview. Uh, hope you enjoy that coming up here in a little bit. Before we get to that, uh, I want to talk about uh, what I thought was the big result from last week. Uh, that was Miami's 52-10 to 10 dusting of Florida State. Uh, I don't want to really talk about Miami, though. I, I, I don't think that game told me too much about the Hurricanes that I didn't already think going into that contest. Uh, I do want to talk about Florida State. Uh, that was a pretty bad result for the Seminoles in that game. And, and honestly, the most surprising part of it, to me, is that it wasn't that surprising. Uh, you know, I, I think going into that game, a lot of people say, well, it's Florida State-Miami. This is a, a game you always have to keep an eye on. You never know really which direction uh, it could go, rivalry games, anything can happen like that. Uh, I thought it was going to be a Miami route going in, and it was just that. Uh, not a competitive game. 38-3 uh, to at halftime. Miami rolled up 517 yards of offense, 52 points. It is the worst loss for Florida State in this series since a 47 to nothing setback in 1976. How long ago was that? Well, it was three years before I was born, so it was a while ago. It was also Bobby Bowden's first year at Florida State. So we're talking about a very long time since uh, you know this particular game has been this lopsided in Miami's favor. And honestly, I, I, I think it's just a sign of things to come this year for the Seminoles. Uh, that, that program is just in rough shape right now. If you, if you took the uniforms, the names off the uniforms right now, you took the logos off the helmets, and you just put that product on the field, uh, you would say that team's going to struggle to win an ACC game this year. Now, I think people will give Florida State a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt because of the name on the jersey and uh, you know you know about Florida State and the kind of talent that they have on that roster that they've recruited over the years, but uh, just in a vacuum, you say, what the heck is going on there? Now, I know, I know Florida State was dealing with some things this week. Mike Norvell uh, had tested positive for COVID-19, was not there, did not coach in that game. Uh, Chris Thompson takes over on an interim basis. So you're already talking about uh, you know some disruption to the coaching staff. You know, Mike Norvell took over last year on from a, a bad team he inherited from Willie Taggart did did not really have a full off season like you would hope as a brand new coach to uh, install new schemes and get to know your personnel and, and everything that goes along with coming to a new team but still this has just not looked like a competitive team in these first couple of weeks and you know they lose to Georgia Tech in that opener and I think that opened a lot of people's eyes and said hey Maybe Georgia Tech's better than uh, people had given them credit for in the past. Then Georgia Tech goes out and loses to a Syracuse team that uh, I thought was one of the worst in the ACC coming into to last week. So 
Uh, maybe Georgia Tech's not quite turning that corner that we thought they were, and they still were able to go down into Tallahassee and beat the Seminoles. I don't really know where it goes this year for Florida State or how, how it improves too much. Uh, you know, it's been a, a total collapse in, in all parts. I mean, last week, giving up the 500-plus the yards offensively, Florida State only had 330 yards, gave up six sacks, 13 tackles for a loss to a, you know, a, a pretty good Miami defense, but also one that, you know, they played a good offense in Louisville a couple weeks ago, and Louisville was able to, to score some points on them. Uh, I don't know if the quarterback situation is going to get better with James Blackman there. Uh, he has not had a lot of help around him a lot of the times, but he also hasn't looked like he's improved a whole lot over the course of his career. Uh, the offensive line is is, is still a, an issue with that group. Uh, I just don't see it getting much better for the Seminoles. And, uh, you know, this might be a process for Mike Norvell. Uh, he needs some time to sort of get his guys in place. But this is a roster that's you look at the recruiting rankings over the last couple of years and you know, I'm not a, a I'm not completely on team star matter. I think they do matter, but I think there's obviously more to it than that. You have to develop guys, you have to have continuity, uh, you know, you have to have those guys pan out. But recruiting rankings for the last 4 years, 22, 18, 11 and 6. That's a substantial amount of talent on that roster that they should be better than what they've shown in the first couple of weeks here. Uh, you know, this is a program that's still only six years removed from winning a national title. Uh, I, I don't feel like it, it should be on such a downward trend like it is right now. So it'll be interesting going forward. They have a, they have a break this week a little bit, play Jacksonville State. Uh, I think that's a, a chance to get healthy and get going in the right direction. But after that, it gets brutal real quick. They play at Notre Dame. They host North Carolina. They play at Louisville. They play against Pitt at home. Uh, that's a pretty rough stretch. Uh, those are some pretty good teams they're going up against. Uh, you know, Sam Howell at UNC included a uh, former Seminoles commitment. So uh, it could be pretty rough here, pretty quick for Florida State. And I think if I'm ranking teams 1 to 15 in the ACC right now, they're pretty squarely in last place in the ACC at number 15. Back to the podcast in a second, but first I want to introduce you to our new sponsor, Homefield. Homefield is a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis that produces incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. You know all those cool logos that your school had from the 70s? Homefield takes those and they get them licensed and then they put them on t-shirts. That's basically what it does. They're very cool designs. Don't wait for your school to have some retro day where they come back. You can get your those kind of cool looks right now on Homefield. Homefield has over 90 schools, and they're adding schools all the time. If they don't have your school, they're probably trying to get licensed for them right now. ACC fans at Pitt, Virginia Tech, and Syracuse, they've got all sorts of stuff up on the site right now. Florida State fans, I think you're going to like the addition this weekend as well. So show some school spirit for your favorite teams or alma mater. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use code ACC for 20% off your first purchase. That's homefieldapparel.com. Dot com and use ACC for 20% off your first purchase today. That's homefieldapparel.com and use code ACC for 20% off your first purchase today. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Moving on to something else, you know, Katie George works for the ACC Network. Uh, she is good enough to join us here for a good half an hour conversation. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, she is everywhere on the ACC Network, sideline, studio. She's on the radio on ESPN as well. Uh, really enjoyed that conversation. Here it is coming up. Okay, we're pleased to welcome into the show now Katie George from the ACC Network and ESPN. She's a sideline reporter and anchor for the ACC Network. You can listen to her on the best week ever, co-host of uh, a show on ESPN Radio. Uh, Katie, thank you for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me, Andy. I appreciate it. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I have a dentist appointment coming up. I could be better, but uh, enjoying uh, doing the conversation here. Uh, You covered Virginia Tech, NC State last week, Uh, came to Lane Stadium. Was that your first trip to Lane Stadium? Did I hear that right in, in a previous conversation I heard? It was my first trip. And can you believe that? I had such high hopes. I had wanted to go all last season, and unfortunately, the schedule just didn't line up that our crew got to go to a home game in Blacksburg. And so finally I thought now I'll get my chance to see inner Sandman, 60,000 fans get to see that tradition in full effect. And of course, uh, COVID-19 has had different plans. And so I saw a thousand fans jumping up and down to inner Sandman, but I'm sure it's a much different feel when they've got a packed stadium. It is certainly not the same effect to see a couple hundred parents in the crowd jumping and then like these just motionless cardboard cutouts. You're like, (laughs) man, this crowd is not into this at all. Uh, Not jumping in, going to the music. But uh, yeah, you'll have to get back when it's a a rousing crowd. It certainly is a different experience uh, in the stadium. I'm curious, uh, just for your job being on the sideline, uh, you're the only one from the broadcast team that's there, correct? The, 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 the announcers are doing it remotely, so you're kind of the point person in the stadium? Yeah, it's been interesting, right? So Dave O'Brien and Tim Hasselbeck have been broadcasting from their homes, which I don't think viewers, A, care, and B, really are aware of, uh, which makes the broadcast more tricky than you normally would have in a given year if we were doing things like we always have been. But because of COVID-19, we're all having to adapt. And so I technically am the only person on the ground uh, in terms of somebody on the broadcast. So it makes your job um, even more important, I think, in terms of what you're seeing and hearing on the field, especially during warmups, right? Because in college football, you don't have injury reports like you do in the NFL. So say a starting quarterback God forbid has COVID or his contact trace. If he's not warming up, you know, it's it's up to me and the cameraman to essentially show the guys at home, like, hey, we're not seeing this guy. So you have to be really alert during pregame. And I think that that's become an even more important portion of the buildup to the game for me personally in my role, which is as the game goes on, you know, obviously we're all wearing masks, we're distancing. I'm not allowed to get as close to the bench or the back of the bench that I normally uh, would have been in other given years. I sometimes have to walk through the stands instead of on the sidelines behind the bench just because they don't want you in close proximity. Um, You know, I thought my job might be easier this season because there are so many people, as you know, Andy, on the sidelines during football games. Oh, it's packed. There's alums. There's tons of media members. There's just people who I don't know how they got a pass that are sometimes down there. And now they've limited it significantly to keep it to 
just essential personnel. So that's, you know, cut down on the busyness, which has been helpful in terms of what I can see and hear, but the masks still play such a big portion of, you know, I don't know how some of these coaches and players can hear themselves when they're talking amongst themselves and having conversations, let alone for me to be able to hear what's being said. Um, but some do take down their mask, which is helpful um, in conversation. So I can, I can pick up on some of that stuff, but it's definitely a new normal. And um, it does feel weird. I feel like I'm out on an Island when I don't have the guys there with me, but luckily they are going to be in Clemson on site in Death Valley calling that game for the first week um, of college football for our crew, at least. What is tougher having to try to chase down a coach and, and talk to him before halftime in front of this, you know, 60,000 people in your ear and it's tough to hear and you have to lean in or trying to get him to come over and stand in front of a microphone where you're standing 10 feet away trying to ask questions uh, pre and post game. That's a funny question. Nobody's actually asked me that. You know, I think sometimes it's harder when there's so many fans and they can't hear you and you're having to repeat yourself. And, you know, you used to get right up in their ear, right? We were so close together. Now I think for the coaches who haven't done it yet. So like I had Dave Doran in his first game last weekend at NC State. I had Justin Fuente in his first game, you know, at Lane Stadium this past weekend they walk up and they're so confused. And so I'm trying to explain to them what's going to happen, you know, for the interview, like walk up to the mic, my voice is going to come out of that speaker. So you will be able to, and then like they're tossing to me in my ear, you know, as it's all happening. And so it's just, it's an interesting setup for sure. And they don't understand it when they first walk up. So I think there's just a little confusion and then they're like, this is just weird. Um, But it's what we have to do, unfortunately, in the moment having a point person in the stadium seemed very important the other night. There's that scary moment uh, in the second half with Khalid Martin, the NC state safety uh, that had to be strange. I mean, you, you I, I watched the replay on, on TV and the ACC network kind of threw to the studio real quick. How difficult was that? You're sort of the person there in the stadium that the announcers obviously can't see what's going on other than what's on the TV screen. Uh, what was that situation like to deal with? It was eerie because they were playing crowd noise, pumping it in throughout. Cause like you had mentioned, there was only a thousand fans in the stands. And I actually thought that the crowd noise is a nice element for these college football games. Well, they cut that immediately. Oh, it was and eerie. So, it was eerily quiet in that state, it, even more so than when there's like 60,000 people. Agreed. Like, I think if you had 60,000 people, they would have been respectful and quiet, but you would have heard rustling and movement. You didn't yeah. hear anything. I mean, you heard, people talking out on the field when they were cutting his jersey off and moving him from the field to the board and the stretcher to get him into the ambulance. And it was a really scary moment because you didn't see him move any of his extremities. And I had a a good vantage point of them strapping in his legs, which, you know, in hindsight, it's a, it's a hip injury. uh, Thank God. And so he wasn't moving his legs. I couldn't see his arms, you know, and you just had earlier in the day in the Louisville pit game, Malik Cunningham have a similar situation where they put him on a stretcher and had to um, get him out off the field. And so I thought, Oh no, you know, it, it, this looks serious. I couldn't see the replay. Obviously I could just hear Dave and Tim, uh, how they were assessing the hit. Um, but you knew that he was hurt, but Luckily speaking, you know, Annabelle, the point contact for NC State, she said, you know, they're just assessing him for a hip injury and we'll, we'll let you know more. And then she texted me Sunday morning and said, hey, you know, all is good. The test checked out OK. So he hopefully will be able to resume play quickly with NC State. But that was the first time I've been told as a sideline reporter, you should always get with the EMS 
members and ask them what hospital, if a case were to arise where they would have to transport a player, it was a good learning lesson for me of you actually should do that and check that off the list during pregame because that was the first time it's ever happened to me on the sidelines. And so I'm scrambling in that moment, not being able to watch what's happening to Tim because I'm trying to figure out where he's going. And so that was kind of tough. And so that, that's a good learning lesson for me of, you know, it finally happened in a game and I didn't have the information on hand and I should have. Yeah, that was a, a eerie moment. Uh, you know, he's not moving. You, you immediately think neck injury or something like that. They back the am- they back the ambulance onto the field, which I don't think you see a whole lot. And at no. that point, it's like, oh man, this is this is very serious. Thankfully, it sounds like a, it's it's nothing. Uh, you know, that's going to be long lasting, like a neck injury or something like that. Uh, sort of turning the attention to the game itself. Uh, you are part of the TV crew that talks to these coaches uh, ahead of time and players, and they are often, frankly, a lot more candid with the, the TV <laughs> crew that's doing stuff than they are with reporters like me asking questions during the week. Uh, what was your takeaway from sort of the COVID-19 situation with Virginia Tech and, and what, you know, Justin Fuente's comfort with going into the game with what he had and, and how many guys had been out coming into it? So Justin Fuente, based on our conversations we had with him on Friday, I woke up on Saturday not knowing, Andy, if we were going to play. We were waiting for an email at 8 a.m., 9 a.m. on Saturday of game day of their COVID-19 tests from that Friday, 24 hours before kickoff. And so we got the email at 8 a.m., that said, we're moving forward. Um, Whit Babcock, the athletic director at Virginia Tech, has given the green light. And so my understanding when it's COVID-related, the university's chief medical officer, so for Virginia Tech, it's Dr. Mark Rogers, he has to deem that it's safe and that they have personnel available to at least compete. So he gives his signature for that. Then AD Whit Babcock, or whatever AD it is, has to give his signature or if he deems it's safe and competitive. Now, if you go back to Friday's conversation, Justin Fuente was very candid, and he said one word to describe what we're going through is miserable. He said, we are miserable. Everyone is miserable every single day because they got hit so hard. He said, we did such a good job during the summer and preseason camp leading up, and now our students have returned. And he said it kind of just went through three waves. Offensive players got knocked out, then defensive players got knocked out, and then now our coaches are getting knocked out. And so they didn't have five coaches on their defensive side of the ball. And it ended up on game day that Justin Hamilton, their new defensive coordinator in his first year, taking over for Brett Foster, the play caller just found out, oh, now you have to quarantine and you can't be with the team. And so play calling is going to have to go to Ryan Smith. Nice little curveball there, right? (laughs) That was a big curveball. Obviously, Hendon Hooker had just gotten out of quarantine on Friday. There was a list of about 14 kids, Raheem Blackshear being one, one of their running backs that they rely heavily on, that had just gotten released from quarantine on Friday and got a two-hour practice in before some of them were expected to play on Saturday night. So it was a very um, pessimistic call is what I would say of like, okay, I don't even know if they can play number one, two, if they do play, I mean, NC state could crush them quite honestly, because these guys are not acclimated 
uh, in terms of getting back into football shape and being able to play. And so had somebody called me from Vegas, I would have said go all in on NC State because they had just had a game the week prior. They looked good against Wake Forest. Bailey Hoffman I thought was a surprise. And then to see what Virginia Tech was able to do and how fast they started, I was like, what COVID problems? Because they seem perfectly fine. I thought Braxton Burmeister, uh, I thought he was impressive. Then he has the hand cramp. And then you have Quincy Patterson come in, and he was phenomenal. So it was kind of just a really funny outcome that, like, 24 hours before, Justin Fuente was really pessimistic of what things could look like. And then, boom, they have a phenomenal performance and crush NC State. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. You know, Fuente had been burned a couple times in, in the preseason for thinking games are going to happen and then they get canceled or postponed. Uh, so I, I think he was rightfully going into this pretty pessimistically. I, I think when I looked at the final uh, roster, it was 23 players that were out, two coaches, two additional staffers that were out. And then then I looked at the players and it's like, well, Hedden Hooker's not starting. And then on defense, Jermaine Waller's not there. And I don't even think that was COVID-related. I think that's still uh, an in- yeah. ankle injury that he's dealing with from last year. And also not their long snapper. And I look at that and I go, well, this, you know, there's really only three starters out there. But I think people need to understand how many guys just had not worked. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Raheem Blackshear. Uh, I think after the game, he went up to Fuente and said, that was the worst game I've ever played in my life. It's like, well, he still scored a touchdown and had like 30 yards. So he, he did all right like that. But I, I think Christian Derrissaw just came out, Rayshard Ashby. I mean, there were a lot of guys that just had not prepared much for that game. So I, I, frankly, I was surprised. I mean, I, I, you said that you would have told somebody to go to Vegas uh, <laughs> to bet the house on NC State. People asked me going to that game who would you have picked? I'm like, do not bet on this game. Like you might have a gambling problem if you're trying to pick one side in this game. Uh, So the results surprised you quite a bit. I mean, I I was surprised by how crisp they look. I thought that at least if Virginia Tech was going to be competitive in that game, maybe it kind of muddled up a little bit at the beginning. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I'm looking at my my chart right here. You know, half the O-line just cleared quarantine late, late last week. So you just got to think, like, from just a conditioning physical standpoint, I mean, these kids, like Braxton Burmeister cleared quarantine a week before the game, so on Sunday. He had told me he was doing push-ups, yoga, and then when his roommate Brock Hoffman, the starting center, would go to his room, he'd go into the common area and he would run up and down the stairs of their townhouse. That's how he <laughs> was That's how he was trying to stay physically in shape. Like, you think, okay – if a kid is doing that, when he comes out of quarantine, there's no way he's going to be ready to play. Now, luckily for him, he had five practices to get prepared. You know, Raheem Blackshear didn't. And so it doesn't surprise me that Raheem thinks, oh, that was my worst game that I've ever played. Well, yeah, you just practice one time before taking on NC State. But to your point, Andy, they were crisp from the very beginning. I thought maybe, maybe if they're going to make a game of this, they'll kind of get into their rhythm and settle in in the second half after getting punched in the mouth. That's how I expected it to go. Quite honestly, Virginia Tech came out and punched NC State on the mouth, and they were on their heels. And I don't think NC State expected them to be competitive because they were well aware of all the COVID issues that they were dealing with leading up. Yeah, that part was surprising to me, the physicality. 
Because, uh, I, I mean, you mentioned, you know, guys can run in their dorm and do stuff like that. I don't think you can find too many volunteers if you're an offensive lineman to, to stand across from you and, and, you know, bang heads down the hallway or something like that. Like it's a American Gladiators or something like that. Uh, I, I thought the story of the game was Virginia Tech's offensive line and how physical it was. I mean, they, you haven't really seen that out of the Hokies a whole lot. Maybe a little bit in the second half last season, but that was as good of an offensive line performance as I've seen here at Virginia Tech in a long time. Uh, was that your biggest takeaway was just, uh, you know, how physical that offense was? Yes, because I thought NC state was going to be the more physical team in that game. You know, Dave Doran, that's very much a part of his identity. I mean, that's what they preach every single day. Uh, and then to see that Virginia tech was the more physical team, um, you know, was surprising to me. And so, you know, you always know what to expect from, a team that returns so many starters. Now they didn't have all of their starters because of COVID, but I thought I expected Virginia Tech's defense to be extremely competitive because of, of what we've seen in the past. And Justin Hamilton has worked with Bud Foster, played for Bud Foster. So you expected to see similarities there on that side, but I thought the offensive line really set the tone for the offense. And then the run game was just phenomenal, which made it easier. But I expected them to stay on the ground, and both quarterbacks, I thought, did a nice job in the air. I, I was really impressed with Quincy Patterson, how, you know, Burmeister gets hurt with the hand cramp, goes straight in, and throws two touchdown passes. You know, I thought that they were going to be conservative, and I think we did as a crew. But, you know, this just goes to show I don't think people were really discussing Virginia Tech in terms of top-tier team in the ACC, and could they contend, you know, with the, the second tier behind Clemson? After that first game, given all that they've been through, and I don't know if that was just like first game excitement that they've been waiting for so long. They just really wanted to get out there and play. Um, if they can continue to play like they did, though, in their first game, I mean, I definitely think that they're a team that needs to be in the conversation for possibly a dark horse. Yeah, I think a lot of people coming into the year, you know, obviously you lose Bud Foster on the defensive side, but they go, well, where are the offensive weapons on this team? They, they lost Damon Hazleton to Missouri in the offseason, too. And, you know, I've been trying to say, I think these transfers, Khalil Herbert, Raheem Blackshear, are really good at running back. I think this offensive line could be a strength. Maybe need a few more receivers to step up. But, uh, I mean, how many teams in the country have three quarterbacks that they could conceivably turn to and they don't lose too much. I mean, like you said, Quincy Patterson, I mean, last year he was a, a bit of a runner more than anything. I think the throwing part of his game wasn't there. What does he do? He goes out and completes his first four passes for 75 yards and a touchdown uh, or two touchdowns when he comes to the game. Uh, so yeah, I, I think this could be a team uh, that's pretty interesting in the ACC this year. I wanted to ask you that Burmeister injury, that was weird, wasn't it? I mean, he, he sort of gets tackled on that play and he stands up and I'm like, oh, he must have dislocated a finger or something like that, the way he's holding it. And then you know, he's got sort of this mandible claw, his his hand. <laughs> like, like, what was that? was very strange. And then it turns out later his mom brought mustard packets down to him on the sideline and that helped his cramping and it went away. I didn't see the mustard packet thing. Uh, I saw that after the fact, which makes some sense. But it was really bizarre because, like you said, we thought it was maybe a dislocated finger. That's what Tim Hasselbeck thought. So I walk over there. I'm watching the trainer kind of work on his hand, and they're not touching any of his fingers. And he's not pointing to any of his fingers. They're actually grabbing his wrist, and they keep putting pressure on his wrist. And so I thought, that's interesting. Maybe it's just a wrist injury. But his hand was in this weird kind of claw, and he wasn't moving it. And so I thought, you know, if it was a finger, they'd be looking at that finger about to pop it back into place. Well, at that point, I'm standing there, and it was just kind of a right place at the right time moment. 
someone I believed at that point was his mother walked down and was like, what's wrong? <laughs> so she's kind of trying to like, you know, get a, get an update from him. Just like I'm trying to get an update. And so he actually walks over right next to me and says to her, my hand is cramping so badly that I can't open it. And he said, so I can't catch the snap. And she was like, what? And, you know, and I was kind of like, what? Like you never hear of something like that happen. But Tim had brought this up. He said, you wonder if it's where he got hit that kind of created maybe a stinger or something that created this, the cramp. And so later on, as I watched him, as they were trying to work out the hand, they were looking at his shoulder. And so I think they thought the way he landed on his shoulder maybe just kind of sent a shockwave down his hand and led to that cramp. And so they were kind of trying to work out his shoulder. But, yeah, I've never seen a quarterback uh, have his hand cramped to the point where he can't catch a football. But that definitely happened. And luckily for them, Quincy Patterson was ready in that moment. How about mom coming to the rescue with mustard packets? I mean, mothers always come prepared uh, for a situation like that. Uh, NC State. What do you make of NC State coming out of that game? We've seen them twice now, uh, giving up a lot of points in both games. Is there a, a brighter picture for this team compared to last year? I know they had a bunch of guys injured last year, but what are your, what's your take on the Wolfpack coming out of that game? Yeah, I was hopeful, and I am hopeful for them just because I think Dave Doran does a nice job. And to your point, Andy, they had so many injuries last year. I mean, when we had them late in the year, it, it was kind of a joke. I mean, they, they were missing so many starters. They were so banged up and, and you really just felt bad for them uh, because they had been dealt such bad cards at that point of the season. Now that everybody's healthy, now that Ricky person, their running back is healthy. I was very hopeful for them. They escaped the high scoring game against Wake Forest at home. Bailey Hockman did a nice job given the circumstances that they dealt with with COVID. He had gotten the start. Uh, with Tim Beck as the offensive coordinator. I think they need to work out what's happening at quarterback, for one. Uh, I think that Virginia Tech pressured them so, so much um, that it wasn't just on Bailey Hockman on Saturday night. It was on the offensive line. It was on pass protection from skilled positions. Uh, And then, you know, you can talk about the offense having some problems defense didn't do a great job tackling. And I think that that's where they're better is on the defensive side of the ball. And so that was kind of surprising. I don't think that that was one game to write them off, but I definitely think it exposed a lot of issues that they need to look at and take care of as we get going in the next few games here. Uh, But I I think that that was an eye-opening experience, not only for them, but for me that, you know, maybe this is a middle of the pack team at this moment. And they've got some strides that they got to make. But you could see them start Devin Leary and him get back into his stride because he was the name, the day one starter going into spring, going into fall camp. And then he had to quarantine for 20 days, which is just insane. Um, and so he kind of fell behind. But now if he can get back up to speed and, and uh, feel good in that offensive system with Beck, you know, maybe you see a different team moving forward. Big picture in the ACC. I think everybody has Clemson as the top team, as they should. Uh, who Who is the second best team in the ACC, in your opinion? So I would have said that there was three or four teams right on that same level underneath Clemson before the season. It would have been Miami, Notre Dame, North Carolina, possibly Louisville. Louisville has now, my alma mater has fallen in my eyes, um, sadly. But you can't have you can't put them in that conversation. I don't think at this point, just given what we've seen against Miami and then against Pittsburgh, 
Uh, I think Pittsburgh was a team last year that defensively was very good and maybe didn't get enough hype or enough credit in conversations, uh, but they weren't able to get it done offensively at all times with Kenny Pickett. I think Pitt, now that they're 3-0, and uh, is at least a team that we should start having more conversations about. Hopefully Pat Narduzzi can keep it going up there. I think they play NC State this Saturday as well. Yeah. But right now, for me, Andy, it would be Notre Dame and Miami being in that next seat behind Clemson, possibly North Carolina being a part of that conversation. But I just haven't seen enough from North Carolina yet. There's not a big enough sample size. And I guess you could say the same for Notre Dame, given the fact that their Wake Forest game was postponed due to COVID. Uh, but Miami looks really, really good. And I had the UAB game for the first their first game of the season with Dave and Tim. And I was impressed with D'Eric just as a person having conversations with him that week leading up. But I was impressed with what he could do on the ground with his feet. But in that first game, there was a lot of miscommunication, drop balls, not on him, but on his receivers. And you wondered, can they get this Rhett Lashley pass game going? Like, when is it going to take them to start clicking there? Uh, because they ran the ball really well against UAB. Well, it took them a week to get it going. I mean, I was like thinking coming out of that game, like, oh, it's going to take them a while to really get acclimated in this system. Uh, no, it didn't because they were able to crush Louisville. And now Louisville obviously has some deficiency in their defense. Uh, but I was very, very impressed with what they were able to do against Louisville on the road and then again uh, in week three. And so I think that they're the real deal. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to pronounce that the U is back uh, quite yet. Um, I, I think that that's a lot of people wanting to get on the hype train. But I am excited that there's another name that people really want to watch. And I think in two weeks when you see – Clemson and Miami uh, play, that's going to be a really, really excited game with a lot of eyeballs on it. Yeah, I think we are legally obligated to mention is the U back whenever we talk about <laughs> Miami, whenever it comes up in conversation. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that those second-tier ACC teams this year, because it's been so many years where, uh, you know, it's Clemson, and then there's this enormous gap, and then a bunch of teams that are maybe eight or nine wins. I mean, last year, I don't think anybody else had 10 wins in the conference this year there's some interesting teams in that group i mean notre dame has been you know now that's officially an acc member for this year has been there for a while uh miami finally has that offense going uh unc i, I think i'm in the same boat with you i'd like to see a little bit more uh of them i, I think i put virginia tech in that same boat kind of with unc yeah. we're like i'd like to see it i mean unc beat syracuse virginia tech beat nc state okay now go out and beat somebody a little bit uh, more formidable there uh Pitt is an interesting one with me because I that defense is totally legit, mm -hmm. completely legit. I am just not sold on that offense. And if it was the Pitt offense from a couple years ago where you know they, they pound it and they play defense like that, then I'd be, yes, I'd be on board for Pitt. Uh, I have my concerns about Kenny Pickett. I have my concerns about that those receivers uh, catching the ball. They've managed to win the, a couple of these games here, uh, but not convincingly and not really putting up points against you know what you would consider some of the top-tier defenses in the league. So uh, it, it should be very interesting coming up. Uh, how the ACC plays out here. Now you have a game this weekend as well. You got UVA Clemson ACC title game uh, rematch from last year. I don't think it's going to be sixty-two to seventeen again, uh, but it, <laughs> I, I think it is a twenty-eight point line on this game. I, I don't think Clemson should have too much trouble with that game. What do you see going into this one? Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that they should have 
too much trouble. I do think that it'll be more competitive, hopefully, uh, from my vantage point than it was that we saw nine months ago. And in Bronco Mendenhall in his presser yesterday, I thought brought up a good point. People said, you know, are you excited to get to play Clemson, a team that you normally don't face in a given year, you know, twice in nine months? And he said, yeah, he said, because when you play the best, you learn about your deficiencies. And he said, we learned a whole lot about our program and to make strides and to take the next step to get to the next level, you have to play against the best consistently. And so he said, you know, as embarrassing as, you know, I don't know if he would use the word embarrassing, but I will as embarrassing as that ACC title game was for them. You know, it'd been a long time if first for him and his career to be in that game. And so I think that they have experience of what it takes to play that kind of opponent and experience of what it means to play on that kind of level uh, nationally where everybody's watching. And so hopefully for those guys, you know, that kind of level of experience helps with maybe the nerves and just going out and, and executing at a high level. But I mean, it comes back down to you got Brennan Armstrong who just started his first game for UVA against Duke. Uh, you know, he threw a couple interceptions, but seemed poised, and they seemed happy with what he was able to do, uh, you know, and they, they come back in the fourth quarter. Um, I was surprised when I saw the score just given on the day. I thought, oh, wow, UVA really handled Duke. And then when you go back and you watch it, well, no, that was a close game. I mean, like, right. Duke was leading late into the third quarter, and so that kind of surprised me. And then, you know, they have this nice fourth quarter, and I think that that does speak to UVA's conditioning. Bronco Mendenhall is meticulous. And I think he has those guys in really good shape. So maybe that'll help against Clemson. I just, when you look at it on paper, you're looking at so much speed for, on Clemson. Like their skill positions, guys on the perimeter. I mean, you know that. We've seen it for years now under Dabo Sweeney. And it's just, do they have the athletes and the ability to be able to execute? I always think that Bronco and his coordinators do a nice job in terms of game plans and puts them puts their players in, in the best position to succeed. Uh, but I just don't know even if they're at their best, is that enough when you're going against a team that is just so loaded with so many different guys that they can lean on uh, to make plays for them? Yep. Bronco, I think, is one of my favorite coaches to talk to <laughs> because he's so interesting and he doesn't sugarcoat anything. I mean, he'll, he will tell it like it is when he sees it. So, uh, you know, he, he 62, 17, there's no way to sugarcoat that from last year. So he used it brutally honest with his team. And I think his team, uh, appreciates him for that. I want to ask you about Clemson. Did you see Clemson much last year? I saw them once in, in that ACC title game. And like you mentioned, the speed, it was like men against boys when they we were had, out there. We had the luxury of having them four times. So okay. we were down there four times, uh, which was very cool, you know, to just to get to cover them. But yes, I've seen them up close and in person, you know, you talk about size, just standing next to a guy that is massive. And I forget how big some of these guys are. You know, standing next to guys from Virginia Tech, NC State, they feel big. They're even bigger when you go down to Death Valley. And the speed uh, of some of these receivers, I mean, Frank Ladson is a guy that I think will have a breakout year. Amari Rogers is unbelievable just with his ability to come back from an ACL tear within six months and just such a great kid. And then you've got Joseph Ngata, who I think he's got an injury right now, but he's somebody who's massive. I think he's six, three. And so, or, you know, he could be another guy that Trevor Lawrence keys in on and, and looks to, but I just think that they have so much talent and 
that's what happens when you build a phenomenal program, right? Like you have so much talent. So last season, most of all the games that we saw were blowouts, right? Okay, well then you can get Trevor Lawrence out of the game. You can get your backup quarterback uh, at that point, which Chase Bryce, some some reps. You can get these younger receivers reps, younger O-linemen, right? So then when the time comes and you've got guys graduating and you're going off to the league, they at least have some game experience. So there's not this drop-off of, oh, we've got to reteach guys how to play this position. And so that's the luxury I think that Clemson has is that they blow out so many people in a given season that it's a good way to get their the rest of their crew acclimated for what's to come the following season. And I think that that's just where it's this really, really powerful cycle that Dabo Sweeney has going down there. Uh, but I'm excited to see him, and especially against a, a quality opponent, right? You know, like I, we had, I think one of the games was against uh, Charlotte, Last year, um, one of the games in Georgia Tech and Boston College are quality opponents, of course, but I think UVA uh, can actually test them in certain areas this season, uh, and I'm excited to see that. Yeah, it would be nice if it got to the second half and you know Clemson wasn't already emptying its bench. You could get a, a full analysis of the entire game. Well, that that should be a fun game. Uh, you know, it's, it it feels like it's just fun to be back covering games and oh being God. out there on the sideline. It was a long off season, to say the least. Yes, it was. I, I'm just, I'm excited to be there. Uh, you know, I didn't know if I was going to get to go just given the craziness of how all of this has gone. And so, you know, people ask me a lot, you know, what does the vibe feel like? Like, is it just so, does it feel like a scrimmage? Is it just awful only having 50, 50 fans in the stands? Quite honestly, and the, the players will tell you this too. Once the ball is dropped and they're out on the field, all they're focused on is the game and that's all I'm focused on we're still seeing good quality football play there's just not the fanfare and the atmosphere that we're so used to and yes it does make you think wow I took that for granted having so many fans in the stands and just having you know so much passion around you but at the end of the day they're playing good football and that's what we want to see and right now uh, I'm really enjoying it and I'm just happy that I get to be a small small part of it well, Katie George, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you're always working. It seems like you can you can see her on the ACC network. You'll see her on the sideline. Uh, Virginia Clemson. Uh, let's see, it's at an 8 p.m. start on the ACC network this Saturday. Uh, you can listen to her on the co-host of the Best Week Ever on ESPN Radio. Uh, I don't know when you sleep, but you must manage to to get it in there sometime. Thank you so much for uh, joining our podcast this week. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Okay, before we go, I want to have a few parting shots here just to cover our bases with the rest of the ACC. First, Pitt is 3-0. and uh, Good start for the Panthers. I, As I mentioned in the interview with Katie, I still want to see a little bit more with that offense. Uh, that's a fabulous defense. That might be the best defense in the ACC. Uh, Matt Fortuna, a colleague for The Athletic, had a great story on the defensive line. Uh, 17 different things to know about the defensive line there, which is just they beat you in so many ways and they just come at you in waves. Uh, that starting lineup and then they have guys behind them that are pretty relentless as well. Uh, I, I like everything the Pittsburgh defense is doing. Uh, including the turnover slam dunk thing that they have with, with the hoop they bring on the sideline. That's a pretty uh, fun little way to celebrate. But that offense just gives me pause with the Panthers. Uh, 4.54 yards per play versus their first two Power 5 opponents. Uh, and you're looking at that at Syracuse and Louisville. We're not talking about uh, the best defenses in the league. 
So I'm going to have to see a little bit more production out of that offense before I'm a total buyer uh, of the Panthers this year. Uh, probably a good week to get healthy this week against NC State's giving up more than 43 points a game. Uh, so I'd like to see Pitt uh, come out and put up a little bit uh, bigger offensive numbers this week before I, f- I feel comfortable squarely putting them in the contender space. Now, th- that, that defense alone might be able to enough to do it. You know, Pat Narduzzi uh, had really great defenses when he was at Michigan State as a defensive coordinator, and that was sort of their MO. They could get by with really good defenses and offenses that were just good enough. Uh, I'm curious if this Pitt defense is going to get, or Pitt offense is going to get to the stage where it's just good enough this year. Second point, uh, UNC plays at Boston College this week. It's funny. Last week I got a, a Twitter response. Didn't have time to get to Duke's or Boston College's win against Duke a couple weeks ago, where uh, new quarterback Phil Jerkovic, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, had a pretty good debut. Uh, throw for threw for big yards, quite a few touchdowns in the second half. I uh, had a, a BC fan who tweeted at me uh, saying he was disappointed I didn't get to him and saying that by the end of the year, he'll be in the same conversation as Sam Howell and De'Eric King. Maybe pump the brakes on that a little bit. Uh, you know, Boston College last week had to rally to beat Texas State at home. Uh, Jerkovich uh, finished with 210 yards and a touchdown on 38 attempts. You know, maybe a bit of a step back for the Eagles there. I'm, I'm not quite ready to put uh, him in the class of a guy like Howell or King, guys that have produced uh, big numbers so far. Uh, BC's rushing attack hasn't really helped him. 87 yards last week, 84 against Duke the, the week before that. So uh, I would pump the brakes on the Jerkovic for uh, all ACC consideration at this point. Uh, that should be a real test this week, too. I know UNC has been out for a couple weeks, uh, just hasn't had a game, had to postpone one, I believe, with Charlotte uh, for some COVID-19 issues. Uh, I think some people might think, oh, they maybe are a little rusty. I think we've seen in the first couple weeks that uh, there's not a whole lot of, of rust on some of these teams that, that don't play games on a certain weekend. They're still practicing. They still come out there and, and have looked pretty good. So uh, pretty stiff test there for Boston College, and, and I'll be curious to see what UNC does on the road in its first game. Lastly, uh, this is not a great week of games in terms of uh, competitive schedule. I'm looking at the games between uh, ACC teams this week. NC State at Pitt. Pitt is a 14-point favorite. UNC at BC. Uh, Tar Heels are a 14-point favorite. Virginia Tech at Duke. The Hokies are a 10.5-point favorite. And UVA at Clemson. Clemson is favored by 28 at home in that game. Not a, not a single single-digit line of the ACC matchups this week. But next week, oh man, Miami at Clemson. That's looking like an interesting one. I'm not saying that the Hurricanes are going to win that game or challenge in that game because Clemson, to me, seems so far and above beyond everybody else in the ACC that I have to see it before I believe it. But I am saying that I do think that game will be interesting. I think that uh, the kind of offensive spark that De'Ara King has brought to the Hurricanes at least gives them a chance to be competitive in that game. And when you're talking about Clemson, if you can be competitive, uh, that's an accomplishment because not too many teams have been all too competitive with the Tigers right now. So Miami has an extra week to prepare for that. Uh, the Tigers are at home this week against UVA, so they have to, to take care of that before they turn their attention to the Hurricanes. Uh, again, I'm not saying that Miami is going to win this or that it's going to be close, but I, I just think it could be a fun game, uh, certainly with the way that Miami is playing offense right now. And honestly, that could be the only challenge that Clemson has before it goes to Notre Dame in November. So 
Uh, it would be nice for the league if that could be a good game and, and sort of get a, a marquee type uh, result early on in the season that would get the, the league some recognition there. Okay, that's going to do it this week. Uh, that was a fun conversation. Again, thanks to Katie George for coming on and, and talking to us. Uh, loved her insight on everything. Uh, we'll see if these games produce uh, some interesting results this week. Sometimes the, the, the weeks where you don't think it's going to be uh, interesting games, they come out and it ends up being a, a game of interesting results. So you can never tell with the ACC. Things are, are always a, a, a crazy result. Uh, thanks to everybody who's listened to us early on in the pod. Uh, the response has been very good on this and, and we thank all of our listeners for that. If you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify or Stitcher, some of these sites, go ahead and give us a review on there, rate and review us on there. Uh, tell us what you think. It really helps us get the word out about the podcast. It, it kind of helps us know how many people are out there paying attention to what we're saying. You know, drop me a line on Twitter. I'm at Andy Bitter VT. I love the feedback. Uh, you know, who knows? If you, you give me something good like the BC guy did a couple weeks ago, maybe I'll mention it on the pod. Uh, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, now is a really good chance. We still have a, a $1 offer going right now. You can sign up. You can listen ad-free to this podcast. You get everything else on The Athletic as well. Uh, take advantage of that $1 deal. I'm not sure how much longer it lasts, but it's still active right now. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. It's a great deal. I, I, I think you'd like everything on The Athletic, everything it has to offer there, and we'd love to have you. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening.